Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of It's the Mysterious World. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, and the macabre. And with me, all the way from the fog-shrouded coasts of Wales, is the teller of the teller of curious tales. And he is Steve Parsons. Yo. Yo. Yo, that's what I get. Yo. Yeah, there you go. So anyways, uh, this is the second half of our fabulous, fabulous, uh, mysterious world uh, episodes. We started uh, yesterday on Ghost Chronicles International, and that show will uh, be up probably tomorrow. uh, So you'll be able to hear it in case you missed it. And then... Listen to Ron attempting Dutch. Shut up. And... (laughs) We are going the second half tonight. So, this, you know, we have a big world here, and there are lots of mysteries that are difficult to explain. And Steve and I are kind of looking at some of the unusual ones, or, or some of them just uh, tickle our fancy. So, there you go. Anything you want to add? Uh, no, no, I've picked some nice ones. I hope you have too. And um, some different than yesterday and trying to continue a little bit of the theme of uh, last night's show. So uh, Yeah, I totally went a different direction. Just oh, did you? I thought you might. Hey, I think you, have you avoided your opinion, place names. and uh, Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd alert your lesson yesterday. Okay, so uh, on the regular show we were talking about... Uh, uh, how people, uh, or maybe it was just in our conversation that people who have, have like, uh, you know, just uh, passed on, uh, people begin to channel them right away. Uh, do you remember our conversation, Steve? Yeah, because um, is it the lead singer of uh, Lincoln Park, and Chris yeah. Beddington, didn't he pass Somebody. away? He was still he he wasn't even in his in his coffin. Um, and there was a paranormal group in America called Paranormal Den. It's normally Steve Huff, but uh, he was beaten to the jump in the distasteful uh, competition to uh, get the first EVPs from the other side. Utterly, utterly distasteful. And, and you know, I, I happened to watch over the weekend uh, a movie about Harry Houdini, of course, because Spirit Quest this year, uh, September 29th, 30th, and October 1st, is called... Houdini and Doyle, and uh, go to my website, inigosproject.com, and you can uh, find out more about it and also purchase tickets. But So I watched this show, and uh, there was a great line in it, and it reminded me of this. And uh, it was just after the Houdini had exposed the Boston uh, medium, Marjorie, who uh, he, he claimed was a She did plenty fake. of exposing herself, though, didn't she? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> We don't want to get too much into this, but I, there was a great line in there that I wanted to explain. 
and uh, Harry, he, uh, Harry's, you know, she tried to ask him not to do it, and uh, he says, uh, no, too bad, you know, and uh, so she says, I can't wait till you're dead, he says, to Harry, because the meaning mediums, we will own you, and that's kind of what that is happens, once you're dead, people own you, they... <laughs> You know, I'm 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 channeling uh, Steve Parson. He says the world, the afterlife, it's full of orbs. Orbs are real, my friend. That's what yeah. I'm going to be doing. I know that. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of uh, great, great sort of people through history have uh, been claimed to have come back and spoken through mediums and psychics and given messages, written books, songs, poetry, um, and great yeah. eulogies about life on the other side. Conan Doyle. Um, famous spiritualist and champion of spiritualism here in the UK and and in North America also um after he after he passed he wrote a series of books um through mediums here in the UK under the uh, uh calling himself white white feather yeah i can't say white something what white but, cloud or white feather but it's true though mediums, mediums own you once you're dead you they, can, they absolutely they can say do. whatever you make you say whatever you want Whatever you they want you to say, we got to be. Oh yeah, I'm just watching the chat room because Stephen Scott's in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, Stephen and I know each other very yeah, well. Yeah, but we, you know, we we're going to be owned, aren't we? You know, like be anyway, <laughs> that's the way it is. So let's get back into our show, which is yeah, us, right. the mysterious and world. Upward. Yep, or downward, depending on which way it goes. <laughs> so you want to go first? Well, I, onward and upward is a, or downward is a great link because I want to talk about games, mysterious games, paranormal games. Really? Well, I mean, they go right the way back, um, you know, through ch- through our own childhoods, beyond, um, right the way back into folklore. I mean, uh, you know, here in here in the UK, there are lots of um, legends. There are lots of accounts uh, in our folklore of things that. Uh, people could do to foretell the future. Um, you know, young girls could foresee who their husband was was likely to be uh, by 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 participating in rituals or games. And I remember at school playing many sort of pseudo paranormal games. You could you could apparently you know um, make one of the one of a group of friends weightless levitate um, yes levitate by holding them with one finger you know under. And saying certain things, there were all sorts of stuff. So I, I I've always been intrigued. Stiff as a board, by... light as a feather. Yeah, I've always been intrigued by these. So I was looking at some of the more current and topical ones, and obviously, you know, things like the Ouija board, which is a game. Um, true, true. You know, would, would feature, but you know, I, I sort of cast my net further afield than looking at some of the more bizarre ones, and so onward and upward with the elevator to another dimension. And uh, this works in any elevator. We don't have many here in the UK because we don't have as many high-rise and skyscrapers as you do in the US. But if you're downtown in one of the big cities in the US, have yourself a pen and paper ready and go and try this one next time you're in the elevator. Um, This will, it originates in Korea. And if you follow this simple guide, it will take you into a different dimension. And all you need to do this is a building with elevators and 10 floors. Ooh. So uh, the smaller skyscrapers, I think, that you have around Boston might be ideal for this. 
whenever you, when you board the elevator, you have to make sure that you're alone. And once in the elevator, you type the following sequence. So you visit the floors in this following sequence. Uh, number four, two, six, two, ten, and five. When you reach the fifth floor, a woman will enter, providing you've done it right, of course. And the woman will ask you where you're going, but you should not answer her. Don't reply. Then the elevator will automatically ascend to the tenth floor. When you get to this floor, the tenth floor, you can leave and you will now be in an entirely new dimension. Once you... Uh, uh, there it gets sort of fairly mundane because once you're bored, you just get back in the elevator again and you just go back to where you came from, back on the ground floor. Uh, but Did you live re- in a new dimension? Uh, well, yeah, you've got to get back in. But the real scare happens if you answer the woman. Really? When she asks you where you're going because, according to the legend, nobody who has ever talked to the woman has ever lived to tell the tale. Or did they go in the other dimension? Well, I don't know, maybe. They did. And we, try it next time you hear. Yeah, hey, right after the are, airport, we'll pick you up and we'll <laughs> zoom out. Give, so. give it a whirl. Might, it might save the drive up by 95 anyway. And of course, some of them, I mean, obviously featuring uh, one of the most famous, and this is actually very popular in our house at the moment. Um, I, both my four year old and seven year old have taken to spending bath time. In front of the mirror, shouting, "Bloody Mary, Bloody oh, yeah. Mary!" Um, well, so yeah, you're going to do that right. Uh, you're going to be a do. woman, first of all. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, well there's no specification. There's, there's no specification in the actual rules. Um, oh yes, there is. I did my last newsletter all on Bloody Mary. Well, I guess different versions of the game have different rules. Different there you parts go. Of the world. You right on there. And of course, Bloody Mary is said to be. Um, one of the two Marys that we had as our queen over here. Bloody Mary was Queen uh, Queen Mary the First, who was the elder sister of Queen Elizabeth the First, and was uh, notorious for putting Protestants to death in many and various ways. But Bloody Mary is sometimes said to relate to Mary Queen of Scots as well. Um, although I, she was never in her during her lifetime referred to or in. Uh, folklore referred to as Bloody Mary that affirmation always went to Mary the first the the Tudor Queen but Bloody Mary is it's more folklore than game Um, in some accounts uh, Mary is described to be a vile witch who was burnt at the stake during a witch hunt in the 17th century but if you want to try it for yourself all you have to do is stand in front of a mirror in uh, subdued light and repeat her name three times with pauses. So that's um, actually it says repeat it three times, and there's a different version here. There's two yeah, options: three, you. three and three. So nine times with pauses, holding up a lighted candle to the mirror while you chant her name. Exactly, and, and there's another one. If you really, if that doesn't work, there's another one that the you bring out the prim serim and uh, use it. Well, I think I think there are lots of like with a lot of these games. I found with the elevator, um, when I was looking at the, the the different rules for the elevator, uh-huh. the floor sequence is written in different uh, is written Bridget. differently. There are different versions. 
uh, I think of all of these. There are regional versions, even of the games we used to play as children. Another another one that um, intrigues me, and one that's relatively uh, straightforward to do. Um, in fact, if we hang on here a little bit in the UK, we might be able to try this one. Uh, although it might be a bit for, more for Marla Brooks show, which is later. It's 2am in the UK. But this one's called um, The Three Kings Ritual. And this is another one that will take you into another dimension. They get creepier later. Uh, you need to play this in a large room. And there must not be any natural light in the room. So they recommend a basement. Uh, for this, you'll need uh, a candle, two mirrors, three chairs, and an object from your childhood, which you assemble all of these items in the room, and you leave the door open and go back to your bed and go to sleep making sure, of course, that you sleep in your own room. You need to set your alarm to wake you at 3.30 a.m. precisely once you get up and go to the room where you've set everything up ready. Um, you sit on the chair that you... Uh, you sit on the chair and you wait for three minutes until 3.33 with a lit candle in your hand. Uh, do not, at this time, look into the mirror, but look instead into the darkest corner of the room. And if you've done everything right, at exactly 3.33am, a presence will enter the room and it should talk to you and tell you all about your past. Yeah, like you don't know it already. <laughs> well, there we go. You know. uh, this is a, this, there are versions, again, different versions. of There's a midnight game. Um which I suppose you could keep. So he's been doing a little research, huh? Yeah, well, you, that, you know, you could do the midnight game, uh, which lasts a couple of hours, so that could keep you occupied till it's time to start the three thirty a.m. game. But there you go. Neat one for a bit of bath time fun. It's called Daruma-san. Uh, this one comes from Japan. It's called the bath game, so it's a little bath uh -huh. time fun for everybody. And in go. this one, you can um, make your bath times interesting and perhaps a little different, by summoning a ghost or spirit to share the bathtub with you. Um, so you go to the bathtub, of course, in For uh, what particular reason? Um, it doesn't say, actually. Oh, but okay. it, I, Well, as we Curious. go down, it, 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 it might become clearer. Uh, oh, you, go, you enter the bathtub entirely naked, with all the lights in the house turned off, and you sit in the bathtub facing the tap end. Mm -hmm. Apparently, yeah, that's important. And start washing your hair. Whilst washing your hair, you keep repeating these exact words. Daruma-san fell down. And repeat those over and over. So, Daruma-san fell down. Daruma-san fell down. Shortly, you will see the image of a beautiful woman standing in front of the bathtub facing Whoa, you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's the reason. There she you go. She falls down onto the tap and injures her eye. But you keep repeating the words and keep... Oh, that's not nice. ...and finish washing your hair. Once you've finished, you need to repeat... You need to say the following words just once. Why did you fall in the bathtub? Then you leave <laughs> the bathroom... And go to sleep. The actual game commences the following day. You will oh. constantly feel a presence near you, but you will need to keep some distance between yourself and the presence. You will always be running away from the presence. If you feel the presence too near, you need to turn around, imitate a slapping movement with your hand, and say, <laughs> Kitta! That sounds like a bit of fun in the bath, doesn't it? Yeah. 
<laughs> there we go. I mean, there's, there's, there are more varied. Well, one final one, um, another summoning one, um, the closet game. So once you're out Ooh, of the battle, I love the closet game. Yeah, this is for yeah. Um, this game is probably the scariest, which is why I've saved it to the end because mm. you're not summoning a ghost or a spirit, but a fully fledged demon. And for this ritual, you will need to stand inside a dark closet and hold up an unlighted match. Then you say out aloud, I'm sitting in near bloody darkness in this room as well. Good, good. Then say let, out let aloud. Me know it let me know if it works. <laughs> show me the light or leave leave me in darkness. Uh-huh. If you hear someone whispering near your ear, you light the match instantly. If you fail to light up the matchstick soon enough, or the match fails to strike, it is said that the demon will drag you into a deep, dark abyss from where there is no return. The same can happen if you start looking around when you hear whispering. Once you've lit up the match, you will need to step out of the closet, making sure the match doesn't burn out or blow off, blow out. But from that day on, you need to be very careful while looking for things inside the closet, since by now, you have made it become haunted by a demon. There you go. There you go. Haven't you got Actually, a closet that we could use at Spirit Quest? The uh, uh, yeah, of... sure we could. Yeah, we could try that. Bring I think that's pictures. pretty interesting. And to be honest with you, I uh, I had uh, the dreams of the uh, closet when I was a child before I knew anything about it. So, how do you like that? Uh, well, we, we had a closet, you know, there was a closet in my bedroom, but the only thing in it, you know, was a witch, a lion. Um, I always had a reoccurring dream that the devil would take me into the closet. Oh, no, no, no. I, I went into and it. I, I would see my parents, but I couldn't speak in the... Oh, which, yeah. Just, a, just a, a lion and a witch. Yeah. Anyway, well, that was really uh, fun. Yeah, so there we go. The mysterious games that children play and why we play them. And, of course, they, these games, you know, in many, many different variations go way back in our folklore um, and through our own childhood. I, I, I guess as probably every child, every listener, when they were a child, has played these games. And as my, my sons are doing now in the bathroom, well, not right now, but, you know, earlier this evening at every opportunity, yelling Bloody Mary into a mirror. Yeah, so there you go. Anyways, moving right along from that exciting one is, uh, before I do, I want to start, uh, we, we, I mentioned these little uh, superstitions that we have, our, our theories, and that's the broken or cracked mirror. A broken mirror is commonly meant to mean seven years of bad luck, or some more specific misfortune, such as the loss of a close friend or death in the family. In Scandinavia, it is said that a woman should never look at herself in a mirror by candlelight, which goes right to your bloody merry thing, for she will lose her beauty. According to Caribbean folklore, if a finger of a dead person is rubbed on a mirror, the dead person's soul will be released from the body. So when you, next time you go to the funeral parlor, bring a mirror with you, and when you go up to the, uh, the casket to pray, just grab the little finger and rub it on a mirror. <laughs> Send you know, them on mir- mirrors are fascinating. I mean, they fascinated mankind. We'll have to do a whole show on mirrors. We we easily could. I was about to say we could easily do a show just on mirrors. 
All right, so getting into my... Hmm. Okay. So what have you got, then, to counter... I've got, I've got something that's interesting. Since the Middle Ages, there have been hundreds of accounts of frogs, toads, and newts being found alive in a sealed-off tomb of stone. It is a style and implication that some of these stories uh, is that certain animals have been uh, incarcerated in stone and lived for centuries. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, more than you know, it was it was my fourth one for tonight, the reserve one. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Oh, well, I'll let that go if you'd like. No, 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 no. As I said, it was my reserve one in case we doubled. Oh, that's so funny. See, we have this, the same thoughts. During the Victorian era, uh, an era for a passion of natural history swept uh, Britain. The entombed tomes, toads were prominent among many of the discoveries of the amateur naturalists. Do you have an entombed tome in, in your collection there? I don't, oddly no. enough. I have seen one. I, I do, I, I, you know, I have had the opportunity of seeing one. Yeah, it, was in a, it was in a Ripley's um, type exhibition. That's pretty cool. Uh, one day in 1982, near the town of Tikuiti oh, in New Zealand, a gang of railway workers uh, extending the tracks uh, were trimming mudstone, a type of sedentary rock. And suddenly one of the men yelled out and pointed to a small cavity uncovered. And uh, in the cavity, they uncovered uh, the rock 12 feet below the ground. And what the hell is he talking about? Men yelled out and pointed to a small cavity he had uncovered in the rock. Oh, 12 feet below the ground. The others gathered around and saw a live frog inside of it. Later that day, another live frog was found inside another hole in the rock. The railway supervisor, one Mr. Uh, Andrews, I got that name good, stated that it was impossible to have a frog uh, in the hole, but uh, there you go. The work of the devil. The railway workers' discovery was an example of the phenomena which re- records uh, exist back to at least medieval times, probably before that. And the 12th century English chronologer William Newberg. I wonder if he invented uh, Seafield Newberg. I don't know. Uh, he was uh, he wrote a book on entombed toads called Historia Rerum Angelicarii. Um, yeah. Why did they always? If he was English, why did they write in Latin? Um, because it was the language of, of the court uh. and of the church. Okay, and he suggested that they were the work of the devil. In the 16th century, Ambrose Pare, uh, chief surgeon to Henry the Third, King of France. Henry the Third was King of France. Yeah. Uh, that that one was Henri yep. Trois. Henri Trois. Yeah, Le Trois. Or, yeah, Henry III. Yeah, Henry so III Henry III of France uh, gave a first counter account finding a toad in a rock and of uh, being towed by quarrymen that this was not an uncommon event. In the natural history of Staffordshire in 1686, English naturalist Robert Plot described how toads were being discovered and sealed up uh, tree trunks as well as stone. And the French Academy of Sciences reported in 1719 and 1730 were the same findings. 
So there's a little, I don't want to go into too much because there's tons and tons of these. Yeah, and, and bang up to date ones. I mean, I was looking at some really modern ones as well. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've got, um, there's, um, this one comes from 1976 in Fort Worth, Texas, where a construction crew are breaking up some concrete that they had set just the year before. Within the broken concrete, out popped a living green turtle. Donatello. Ooh. I think he said his name was Donatello. Um, he's, the shape of the air pocket matched the shape of the creature's body. And uh, a weird one, a frog in a concrete floor. Or a toad in a plaster wall from... Um, yeah, they're everywhere. Bloody hell. Really? A British biologist Julian Huxley received a letter from a gas fitter. Um, a gas... Uh, 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 in Devonshire, England, who have broken up some concrete flooring to install pi- some pipe extensions. My mate was at work with a sledgehammer when he suddenly dropped it and said, that looks like a frog's leg, in a Harry Price-type voice. We both bent down <laughs> and there was the frog. <laughs> Breaking the rest of the concrete flooring carefully, we released 23 perfectly formed but minute froglets, which all hopped away into the flower bed. Ooh. So that, I mean, yeah, I, they, I, as you say, these, these things have been reported. In fact, um, uh, alchemists and philosophers um, used to find, um, used to try and, uh, these were like treasured possessions, having a frog in the stone. My favourite one, I, I remember the cartoon. Um, there was a Warner Brothers cartoon. Do you remember where the, the construction worker um, opens a stone? He demolishes a building or something, and out of the building pops a, a singing frog that did jazz time songs. I think I missed that one. Hello, my baby, ragtime stuff. And then really? he opened a, a theatre and sort of showcased the, the, the singing, singing frog. frog. Yeah. Very famous cartoon, I remember seeing it. Not so very, very long famous frog, evidently. Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Yeah, there you go. There you go. A little bit of music for the show. So anyway, so we're coming up to the break, so we're going to have to take a break. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles, or better better known as the Mysterious World, or Our Mysterious World. I like Our Mysterious World better. Ah, Mysterious World. I'll have to make a special promo for this when we do it again. Anyways, uh, with Ron Kolick and uh, Steve Parsons, and we'll be right back here on Tojanet and Pararex right after the following messages. Harry Price, I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. part two of the mysterious world of ron and steve aka <laughs> ghost chronicles the next generation linked with ghost chronicles international uh, in a dual two-part extravaganza looking at the mysteries with new england's own van helsing ron kolek and the bearded bombshell me steve parsons we have shared no expense in putting this show together <laughs> we didn't it was just thrown it was just yeah <laughs> just created out of thin air how we get away with this stuff on god only knows uh, but we we have joined together because the normal host is uh, sunning herself on some New England beach. No, uh, she's getting drowned by the major snowstorm. Uh, I, I, say, I know she, she was. <laughs> now she was she was offshore in a kayak, and yeah. I, I I I know that there are great whites in the waters off New England. And the little plastic kayak thing she was in, brave woman, brave brave woman. Yeah, anyways, you're up. Yeah, so um, we decided to <laughs> stick together a show on some of our favorite mysteries. Yeah, because you and I both love mysteries. Yeah. The mystery is how I keep getting invited to do Spirit Quest for so many years is one. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I think it's divine intervention. I certainly don't watch you there. Hey, <laughs> scary, scary, scary. I, I put my visa application in um, just over the weekend, and this is the fourth one, so uh, no, no, no problem. Yeah, I've had it many, many instant authorization. Not this time. Really? It, it sat there pending authorization for nearly an hour. Mm-hmm. Then it was okay. But yeah. weirdly, they, they, weird, they had to call up Donald Trump to make sure you weren't one of those illegal aliens. No, actually, it was a software glitch at the uh, U.S. Uh, Homeland Security. But Carry on. Non- nonetheless, do you know, weirdly now, you have to give them all of your uh, social media information, um, your Facebook yes. and your Twitter accounts. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So uh, I gave them yours when they were quite I, Yeah, I just put in uh, an application, believe it or not, for my passport. So there you go. Oh, there we are. Yeah, I just gave them yours and they seem quite happy with it. Yeah. Of course so, <laughs> so you got something to say, or are you just rambling? Yeah. So yeah. Well, I was I was deciding between the next two uh, to try and keep the flow going. I've decided to go with um, the cryptozoology theme of. Ooh, um, cryptozoology. Love well, it. 
I want to sort of tie it into the frogs and stones. So I wanted to look at something that isn't unique to Wales, but we do have quite a lot of them um, in off our Welsh coast and uh-huh. in our Welsh waters and lakes, and that is monsters and mermaids sea lake monsters sea monsters and mermaids now i'm going to ignore i know stephen scott's in the chat room but um he can go out and do one of his um site visits and uh, reports on the loch ness monster because i'm going to stick to the welsh monsters and uh, we have we have our lake monsters um we have uh, a lake in the north of the country in snowdonia called bala b-a-l-a or flintegid in welsh and it has its uh, it has its own monster the lake itself is nearly four miles long so it's not that big half a mile wide 150 foot deep and is the largest freshwater lake in wales the first reports that there was something lurking in the lake began to emerge at the start of the 20th century and gained momentum and peaked during the 1960s when coincidentally of course there was a huge surge of interest in uh, a certain Scottish loch. The, um, loch. 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 Get... <laughs> when Stephen does his on the Loch Ness Monster, he can do the better accent. Yeah. Um, the monster called Teggy... <laughs> I'm not me. making it up. Sintegid is the Welsh name for the uh, lake, uh, Bala uh-huh. Lake, but uh, they, so they called the monster Teggy. Teggy. Uh, Whatever the phenomena actually is, the majority of reports are certainly convincing. Most have been made by local people who know the lake very well and are very familiar with the tricks and the unique movements on the water that the environment can play. The best description so far has been given by Gareth Wynne-Jones and his wife Jill, both school teachers from Uskol i Berwyn, um, which is Berwyn School, um, mm. And they had gone to the lake. Uh, they were both interested in landscape painting. And as the couple sketched and painted, they were disturbed by a loud splashing sound and looked up to see the huge creature, the colour of an eel, moving across the water surface. Two distinct humps were visible about 25 feet apart, suggesting that this creature had immense proportions. Gareth and Jill watched for 15 minutes before it abruptly sank back into the murky depths, a mere stone throw uh, from them. A more, an even more reliable witness is Dowie Bowen, who was uh, the lake okay, warden. Um, he can relate numerous stories he's heard and remembers a vividly a day in September 1976 when he and a car park attendant both saw something resembling a massive crocodile break the surface. The two men immediately jumped into a car and rushed to the water's edge, only to find whatever it was had disappeared without a trace. Although sightings of the monsters have waned in recent years, an occasional glimpse is still caught. Uh, Teggy um, is is actually the car park that, that is referred to um, is one I know well when I drive up to uh, Merseyside to see my daughter. Um, it's actually that very car park is where I stopped for a break on the journey. Uh, in the late 1990s, a Japanese television crew arrived in the hope of, of yeah, in the hope of filming the monster, and they did not succeed. However, they did manage to obtain a sonar trace. Did they hire you while they were there? Uh, no, 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 no. 
okay. uh, of a very large unidentifiable object moving swiftly beneath the surface and they uh, they christened it uh, Taggy although the locals know it more by the name of Slabgoch Slabgoch I've no idea what that translates to um, just down the road coming further down Slab towards flesh yeah, towards my uh, well, Goch, uh, Goch Red. Oh, um, Red. Yeah, um, in the seaside town of Barmouth, so about thirty miles north of here, uh, in Cardigan Bay and surrounding, uh, has a long association with sea monsters. In eighteen o five, a huge sea serpent attacked the ship in Cardigan Bay. The creature slithered up the tiller and coiled itself around the mast before attacking the crew, who retaliated and eventually driving the serpent overboard. In 1937, a man reported seeing a crocodile-like creature in the Morthach estuary, and in 1971, two people holidaying from Colwyn Bay found a very strange series of footsteps on the water's edge just north of Slanaba. The imprints measured some 12 to 18 inches in diameter. Uh, we can come a little further down the cave, uh, perhaps a, right, well, literally three miles from here, in a place called St Dogmiles on the Tyvee Estuary. A story is often told in which a fisherman by the name of Peregrine encountered a mermaid in the 1700s. He was sailing his, his boat around... Was he the around. bathtub at the time? He was sailing his boat around the rocky protrusion of Kamai's head when he saw a beautiful half-naked girl. It's the bathtub thing again, isn't it? That's what I was saying, yeah. With golden hair sunning herself on the rocks and a nasty gash where she'd fallen on some taps earlier. Peregrine (laughs) tried to pull the girl onto his boat and and in the process was shocked to find that her lower half, but he was disappointed, consisted of a large silver fish's tail. Nevertheless, he was enchanted. Yeah. And he succeeded in pulling the mermaid onto his boat. There, the mermaid pleaded with him to be set free. At first, he was reluctant, but agreed to her demands when she promised to look after him during his perilous times at sea. No sooner had she returned to the water, the mermaid warned Peregrine of of imminent bad weather. Just hours later, a giant storm swept the area, killing 18 people. Oh. Yeah. So, well, and a, one final one off our coast, um, which is, it relates to something we've done on other shows, but um, are the fairies of Guayageth Anwen, the women of the underworld, although the title can be used referring to any of the fairy folk who live on the islands off the Welsh West Wales coast. Is usually in relation to some disturbing encounter experienced by a young man walking along the coast um, on a summer's day. At some point in his journey, he meets a strikingly beautiful young lady dressed from head to foot in white who engages him in conversation. The young man enjoys the unexpected interaction until they come upon a deep pool. Hey, sailor, well, Newton Town. Uh, there, the radiant young lady suddenly bid her. F- bids her farewells and bursts into flames before plunging into the water and disappearing beneath the surface with a loud hiss. That's pretty good. 
That's quite mysterious. So anyways, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the mermaid given, uh, uh, you know, a warning of impeding storms. Mm -hmm. But I think that Benny and Gary Tomlinson should have listened to her. The gust of wind that began to push against the Tomlinsons, they felt the wind coming from them at all sides and above. It was great and it was force and they were pushed off the path and then to the wheat field. So this happens in 1990 on May 17th. It was a humid and still day. It was around 9 p.m. when Vivian and Gary Tomlinson decided to take a late evening stroll along a public footpath uh, that led across a uh, wheat field close to their home of Hambledon, Surrey. I don't know where that is. Oh, in South of England. That must it's be up there. It's in Surrey. Yeah. Just, Hamble- just, just, just by London. Oh, cool. As ah, they were walking along the narrow footpath by the edge of the wheat field, they noticed that the wheat to their right, which was dry and a light green color and about two feet high, began to sway gently. That's suddenly, the May running through the wheat field again. Was suddenly, there was a change in the pattern of the wind. It seemed to be coming from two directions at once. In the center of the field, the wind seemed to be gathering force, pushing stronger and stronger gusts against the wheat. The soft, rustling noise changed now to a sounding, what, as Mrs. Uh, oh, they were married. Mrs. Tomlinson said, a high, shrilling, pitched flute. The Tomlinson's looked up to see a sudden change in the wind that caused by a helicopter or something. Was it caused by a helicopter? They could see nothing. Caught in a vortex. The gust of winds grew stronger and stronger. They began to push the Tomlinson. Oh, help, help, help. They felt the wind coming from, from all sides and above. They were pushed and pushed into the wheat field. And now they were completely in circles. The Thomas could see the wind swirling, the air coming at him, and the cloud of vapor or mist in it. Looking down, looking down, the couple saw the wheat was being driven down beneath them. The Thompsons appeared trapped in the center of a crap circle forming. Can you believe that? A crap circle. Yeah, because guess what? The subject, guess what? I picked as my last one as well. What is it? Top circle. There you go. So moving right on to our next one. <laughs> let's, let's, let's share crop circles. <laughs> so moving right on to our next one, I will leave the Thompsons, and uh, they were found in the middle of the crop circle. Unbelievable. We picked two randomly. Yeah, in all fairness to Everybody who's listening, Steve and I, we just talked to say each got to take three, two, you know, three mysteries because uh, uh, well, we did the two shows, four mysteries and maybe a couple extra just of things. So we just we just did it. We didn't tell what we were taking or anything. In fact, you even asked me last night and I said it was going to be a secret. So That's right. So crap circles, huh, Steve? Yeah. Um, which, of course, are... Um, associated with Britain, but are appear worldwide and um, have been appearing for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, 
1678, there was a news pamphlet produced called The Mowing Devil, or Strange News Out of Hertfordshire, and contains what, what may be, uh, many believe to be the first depiction of a crop circle. Really? Um, there was another uh, reported in 1678. Is that with the one, the devil in it? Yeah. Uh, the famous picture uh, is actually taken from that pamphlet. In 1686, the British naturalist Robert Plot reported on rings or arcs of mushrooms um, and rings appearing within cornfields in the natural, natural history of Staffordshire. And he proposed air flows from the sky as a cause. Ooh, just like so, the Tomlinson's. Yeah. And in 1880, a letter to, a letter to the editor of Nature by amateur scientist John Rand Capron, describes how a recent bad storm had created several circles of flattened crops in a field. Of course, uh, didn't Mel, Mel Gibson also experience a... Um, yeah, there was some kind of creature, though. I didn't get that one. That was a strange movie. Science. I always remember one of my favourite films was... Um, oh, God. Oh. Uh, it's gone out of my head now. Yeah. Children of the Corn. Oh, there you go. Love that film. Really spooky film. So what else you got about stop sharks crop circles? Well, in modern I mean we can come you know there's they have they were very popular in the 1960s. There was a huge boom in the 1960s somewhat inevitably. Any stories of crop circles that produce frogs? Uh, no. Not that I'm aware of. Um, they're off frogs that However, that brings sky. us to my next one which talks about things that fall from the sky, including frogs. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just quickly scoot through some some uh, the more recent ones. I mean, there's a, there's a website that gives you, you know, this year's crop of crop circles, and I think we're up to about 30-something here in the UK. Um, some absolutely splendid and amazing ones. Of course, there was, that, there was those two guys who came forward and claimed that they were doing it, that they were making them yeah. um, by stamping around the field with a... With a um, wooden board and a piece of rope yeah. and in, that, in in 2000 Colin Andrews uh, crop circle researcher stated that he believed that 80% of crop circles were man-made mm -hmm. uh, but he thought that the remainder the less elaborate ones could be explained by a three degree shift in the earth's magnetic field that creates a current that electrocutes the crops causing them to lie down and form a circle mm. I'd rather go with the, the, with the mowing devil yeah, me too. Yeah, sounds actually more plausible than making the corn lie down by shifting the Earth's magnetic field. Yeah. There we go. So, anyways, uh, that's that's all intriguing. Anything else you want to mention about crop circles before we play the teller of curious tales? No, no, I think um, I think there is sufficient. There's plenty of websites for those who want to look at this year's crop of crop circles. Yes, yeah, so I gave you a, a uh, an account by a couple of people who are actually caught during the making of a uh, crop circle and. And Steve went into a little bit about the history of it, so there's uh, more on it. But anyways, uh, for those who don't watch, listen to Ghost Chronicles International, I'm very pleased to, to say that, that Steve Possett have discovered these amazing uh, stories. And we, through the, uh, the Tower of Curious Tales, uh, who is very mysterious himself, uh, we've come up with these great episodes and we, we play them every so often. I believe it's about every other week on uh, Ghost Chronicles International. So we decided to give you a little taste of it right here on the uh, Next Generation show. 
So without further ado, can we have the teller of curious tales? Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories, true stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. About all the evidence that we have that there was ever a lost continent of Atlantis are a few lines in one of Plato's books. And on this meagre evidence, millions of dollars have been spent trying to find the location of this continent before the ocean swallowed it. In Homer's Iliad, there is a description of a battle between pygmies and cranes. These pygmies were supposed to be 14 inches tall and they existed in a dozen different places. As crazy as this may sound, there is more evidence that these people once existed than there is that Atlantis was once a continent with a highly developed civilization. In England, India, France and South Africa, archaeologists have found tiny arrowheads and spears, called by them pygmy flints. Some of them are only a quarter of an inch long, and the only explanation scientists have ever given for the existence of these tiny weapons is that they were toys for children. Somehow, this explanation isn't quite logical, because where pygmy flints are found, normal flint tools and weapons are never in evidence. Here's another argument against the explanation that these tiny weapons are toys. And I quote from an article by R.A. Galti in Science Gossip. He says, So fine is the chipping that to see the workmanship, a magnifying glass is necessary. Since it isn't reasonable to believe that prehistoric man had magnifying glasses with which to make them, then only one other explanation is reasonable. That they were made by people so small that to them these flints were of normal size. In July 1836, some boys were searching for rabbit burrows on a hill near Edinburgh, Scotland. In the side of a small cliff, the boys came upon several thin sheets of slate which they pulled out. They discovered a tiny cave, and in this cave, seventeen tiny coffins. Antiquarians say that from the condition of these tiny coffins, they were deposited singly at intervals of many years. They can offer no explanation except that they are very, very old. There you have the story of the pygmies. Every civilized country has legends regarding tiny people. India, China, Egypt, Europe. Perhaps even now, in some unknown rubble heap, there are tiny skulls waiting the excavator's shovels. Waiting 
to bring immortal fame to some archaeologist. The gong strikes. My time is up. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. The teller of curious tales has closed his book and about to go on his way. I'll be back again on Ghost Chronicles International with more strange stories. There you go. Now that's funny because we talked about, in the last show, we talked about uh, Atlantis and the disappearing islands and stuff. We did. And there was also, because we didn't choose the episode, there was also uh, a link. It was randomly chosen. Yeah, there was also a bit of synchronicity to an upcoming um, project for the next generation. There you go. So anyways, you know, it's always been considered to, uh, you know, open uh, an umbrella into us. Uh, Originally, uh, okay, it is uh, bad luck to open an an umbrella into us. Originally designed as a protection against the sun, open an umbrella anywhere other than uh, where the sun is not shining, it will bring misfortune. If the umbrella is open unnecessarily during fine weather, it will rain soon. Uh, if an unmarried woman drops an umbrella and picks it up herself, remember this, ladies, she will remain a spinster for life. So, whoa, that was scary. We should do a whole show on bells. Bells. (laughs) Okay, so as we have a couple more minutes, I will give you another one. Tipping over a chair is considered to be bad luck. Did you know that? Uh, only if you're sitting on it at the time. Yeah. If you tip over a chair after a meal, it means you are a liar, Steve. Oh. Mm-hmm. If uh, when you leave someone's house, you push the chair against the wall, it means you will never visit that uh, house again. Hmm. In Ohio, I don't know why Ohio, but in Ohio, if three chairs are accidentally placed in a row, it indicates, according to the law of superstition, that there will be a death in the house. Huh? Now, well, that's scary. You, you need three chairs to do the three things ritual. Take you into another dimension. Really? That's right. Wow. This, this is all fascinating stuff, and I can't believe our hours is going by when we had so much more. So we'll, we'll have to do another show on this. Yeah, we should, um, we should link together next time Anne goes off kayaking in great white infested waters. I guess a, a facial or a, a pedic. <laughs> However else she keeps herself so beautiful. She could give us lessons. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. <laughs> so, anyways, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, I just We were talking about uh, famous people dropping in. Well, I have to admit, at the red light seance last night, None other than Nancy Reagan dropped in and say a howdy do to us. So there you go. What, exactly those words? Yeah, she says she listens to the show all the time. She especially likes you, Steve. For an Englishman, you're all right. That's good to know. I thought so. So there's the end of the show. Check out my website, negosproject.com. The letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Steve, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Parascience is? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, you can check uh, uh, Steve's personal site, which is the Ghost Hunter 
Webs.co.uk.com. Dot something or other. <laughs> Find it on Facebook. It's yeah. So till next time. Good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.